I actually live in Cape Town now, um, and I arrived in on Saturday from South Africa, so I'm just getting used to being back in the UK. Um, I'm only here for a week, and uh, it's really cool. It's nice to be back. Uh, I think I've still kept my UK accent, um, but everybody keeps telling me I sound a little bit South African now, so if I throw in anything you don't understand, uh, you can blame that. Um, I, I came to faith uh, at a 24-hour prayer meeting. It's quite unusual. I was at a nightclub in East London, um, and I've gone out. My girlfriend had just dumped me. Um, you're meant to say, ah, but don't worry. I know, thank you. Okay, that's all right. Now you're getting how this is work. That's fine. She had just dumped me. Um, I was, cause actually, and this is actually true, because I wasn't exciting enough. It's, and that's quite a harsh reason to dump someone, right? Um, so uh, an interesting now that we've kind of been asked to come and speak on, a, on an exciting story. But I was dumped. Um, so what I did was I went out to a nightclub. Um, and I went with my mates and I thought, I'm just going to go party and I'm going to forget all about it. And, um, and on my way home, about three o'clock in the morning, I walked past uh, a church in Ilford, uh, where I was from. And, and I knew this church really well. It was my parents' um, church. It was our family church. Kind of like many of you, my granddad had been there, my dad and my mum had been there. And then I'd kind of, some of you have got this sort of church kind of history. Um, that was my history in that church. And I walked in at three o'clock in the morning and there was three people praying at a 24-hour prayer meeting. And one of them had bought a mattress and was full on asleep in the middle of it. Now, I I don't know what goes through your mind if you go to a prayer meeting and you take a mattress with you. That seems to me to be pretty extreme. Um, And I know some of you actually are quite uncomfortable sitting on the floor now and wish you'd bought a mattress. Um, But he was there. He was totally conked out. He was asleep. And um, I sat at the back. And you know how weird things are? Like my mum has a seat in church, okay? No one must sit on that seat. It's my mum's seat. All right. So my mum's seat is next to the sound desk and it is the very, very back row. Um, And she sits on the right hand side of the sound desk on the back row. So I sat in my mum's seat and I I remember thinking at the time, I need to do something. I had like an unhappiness in my heart. I was like, I need to do something with my life. Uh, I need to figure out why I'm unhappy. Is it just because I've been dumped for not being very exciting or is it deeper than that? Is my unhappiness deeper than that? I was 19 years old. Um, I didn't really know uh, what to do with my life. I didn't really have many plans. Um, I, was, I really wanted to avoid the question, um, what are you going to do when you grow up? Like, what are you actually going to do? What difference are you going to make in the world? Um, and I sat there, and I opened the Bible, and I started to read. And a lady came over to me, and she prophesied, and she read from the book of John. Um, and she just read five verses to me from the book of John. John 15, it said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Now that verse, in the, in the version I read, that says abide in me and I in you. said remain in me and remain united to me and I will remain united to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Um, these are the, wor- the words that were given of our relationship with God. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I, and I sat there and I realized that actually I wasn't remaining in Jesus. I wasn't remaining united to Jesus. And I'm one of these people that I'm a 100% kind of guy, all right? So I either go to, uh, this is, my life is, I, I train for a specific activity. If I'm going to go to the gym, I'll go to the gym, but I need to have an event to be training for. So I'll sign up for a run or I'll sign up because I need the competition of knowing that I might embarrass myself to make me train. I don't ever wake up and think, I just fancy going for a run today. It doesn't make sense to me, okay? If I play a computer game, I play a computer game. You know, like Simon shared last night, I am that guy. That was SimCity for me, okay? SimCity had me every day checking my phone, building my village, doing my thing, making it a town, making sure I traded all my goods and all that kind of stuff. If I do something, I do it 100%. But I'd realized that I'd never applied that to the gospel. I'd never applied that to Jesus. I'd never decided that I was going to go 100%. So I decided there and then, sitting there um, where I was in the church, and I said, I'm going to give this three months But for those three months, I'm going to go absolutely full on into the church and I'm going to see what happens. And I kid you not, I went to every single prayer meeting. I went to every single morning and evening. Anything the church ran, I tried to go to it. Barring like 
you know, kids, stuff with kids, and if you've got kids, that would have just been awkward. It would have been weird, right? So barring things that were like totally off, off guard, I didn't go to the women's prayer breakfast, stuff like that. I left that side of things. But anything that was open to me, I went to it. And for three months, I just went to seek and see what this was about. Because for me, the, the calling of Jesus, and when I read the, the words of Jesus, it's kind of like this all-in message for me. You've either got to be all in or not in, it seems to me. That, that Jesus wants our whole heart, wants us to live a life of adventure and, and following him. The, the challenge I then had was after those three months, I was, I was actually realizing that I was beginning to hear from God. I was building my relationship with God. I was, I was beginning to believe more and more and more. I was becoming more and more convinced of what Jesus was saying. I was becoming more and more convinced of what the church was about. I was beginning to look forward to going to church Uh, And I was in a position where I was like, actually, if I miss church, I feel like I'm going to miss out. What if God does something? I began to read scripture and wonder whether it could be that these words could actually become true in my life and in my situation and in the things of the world. So the three months turned into six months, turned into a year, turned into me carrying on and uh, and pouring my heart into God. And one of the biggest decisions I made was to tell my friends that I'd become a Christian. For me at that age, and it's easy to listen to my story, and you're going to hear some of our story, and it's easy to think, I, I, I don't know where to even put this guy. Like, I don't know what to do with the information he's given me. I'm very aware that for some of you, to be on an adventure for Jesus, to be all in for Jesus, to be saying that, that uh, this is what you're going to give yourself to and you give your life to, one of the hardest things for you to do will be the hardest thing for me to do, was to literally go to those that were closest to me, my friends, my family, those who are around me, and say, do you know what? I've made a decision to follow Jesus. They started to look at my life and saying that I was doing things differently. Things were looking there. But unless I actually confessed why the change, then really I'd just become a guy who'd started to do things a little bit differently. So I started to say who I was following and, and, and what I was believing for. And then later on, uh, I got married. I met somebody. We got married. We, we, we uh, settled down. I became a youth worker in a church. And I went on to this life of adventure for Jesus. I used to work for a bank uh, in Liverpool Street. That was, I, I was training to be an investment banker. I know you can't believe that at all looking at me now. I know I look nothing like the stereotype of someone who works for an investment bank. But I trained to work for the bank. I'd, I'd studied. I'd done all the, the stuff. I'd got a job. I'd been through four interviews. I'd got the job. I was approved to go on to the graduate scheme and then I took a year out and I went to uh, Uganda and I went to uh, East Africa and I thought all I'm doing is taking a gap year, I'm taking a break before I, um, I start to uh, carry on with my career. At that stage in my life I was earning £150 a day. Um, I was 19, I'm 34, it was a long time ago um, and actually at that stage in my life I was probably earning a little bit more than my dad. Um, so as a young man, I'd, 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 I'd found a career that was going to make me very wealthy. On my first pay packet, I took my mum and dad home a brand new TV. I put it in the back of the car. Uh, I'd got a car, I'd bought a car, put it in the back of my car, and I went and presented it to my parents. And I began to chase what I thought um, was going to make me happy. Even though I was a Christian, I, I, I hadn't got this sense in my heart yet of, of what it was that was really going to make me happy. And I'd gone after this thing of chasing after money. I'd gone after that. And the weird thing for me was that... I would think nothing of spending uh, what I'd earned in a day in the evening. I would think nothing of going out and spending all of that to impress other people. I'd buy you a champagne bottle for £100, £120, and this was quite a while ago, just to try and impress you and to show you that I'd made it and, and that I had money and that I was there. And then I went to a place where there were Christians that were living with, with, uh, with a fraction of that each day, yet they seemed way more happier than I did. It totally shifted the way I was thinking. And the seed of my story is bedded in that six months of traveling around and going on an adventure. I turned up at a church, and, uh, and in the first week, the first week I was there, I, uh, I read my Bible, I opened my Bible during the worship, and somebody passed me a note, and it said, Mr. Stephen, you're going to be the one preaching today. I hope you don't mind that we didn't tell you earlier, but we knew you'd be nervous, so we've waited until now. That was during the worship. I'm like, Really? I've never been to Africa before. I've never been to this country before. I've never been to this church before. And you want me to, to, to share the scripture. So I stood up and shared. And then afterwards, they said to me, Steve, there's a, there's a, a man over there. And uh, he has a demon in him. And we would like you to pray for him for the demon to be released. And I knew that the, the Bible talked about this stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know how to release a demon. I didn't know where the demon was going to go. And I'd only really heard about that stuff in computer games or the Bible. And I wasn't too sure I really wanted to go there. Um, but I had this challenge, even then, of here's the Bible that I'm reading. And here's the life that I'm living. 
And I want to challenge you today that wherever there's a gap between those two, like the London Tube says, you need to mind the gap. Wherever you hold the scripture before you and you hold your own life and you know, if you know, you know, actually, I'm not really living it. And I became so unhappy with this kind of feeling that I was living a life, I was a Christian, and I I kept seeing people that were full of faith, full of heart for Jesus, living an adventure for Jesus. But to be honest with you, I was often finding myself making a decision not to live an adventure, but to stay safe. I was making a decision to protect myself. I was always living for the other day. Maybe when I, when, maybe when I finish uni, I'll really be able to, to kind of go for it. Maybe when I just get my family secure. Maybe when I just get a house, I'll really be able to go for it for Jesus. Maybe when I just get my life together, I'll really be able to convince it. And I know some of you tell yourself that same thing. Maybe when I just start improving a little bit, when I get my life a little bit better, when I get a few more things together, I'll be able to tell people that I'm actually a Christian. Maybe when, when, I, when I finish school. Maybe that's the time to go, go live with this stuff and start living this adventure. But I became more and more dissatisfied as I went on. And I was a youth worker in a church and we were doing great stuff and, and, and great things were happening. But I began to crave to live a life like that that was in the Bible. I began to read the scriptures and the book of Acts and I began to read of the adventures that people were going on. And I had to identify in my life, what would it take for me to live a life that was like this? I told you I'm a 100% guy. I almost came to the point where if it's not this, then I'd rather walk away. If it's not this that I'm reading about, then I would rather walk away. Because I didn't feel I I was living the real uh, 100% full, uh, not lukewarm, but hot kind of life for God. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And it's rooted in a message that Simon gave you last night for those of you that were in uh, the big top. I had to go through my own heart and my own life and analyze my own situation and decide what my idols were. I had to decide what I loved more than Jesus. I had to decide honestly what I loved more than Jesus, what I put before Jesus, what I put before um, uh, uh, being able to fully engage and fully follow in him. And I want to tell you that the one thing that was identified for me was I loved money more than I loved Jesus. I loved being safe and I loved being secure more than I loved Jesus. And that's hard for me to admit before you. It's hard for me as I tell you my story to say that that was the truth. But the truth was, even now, I like to tell you that when I was younger, I earned a lot of money. Because I feel as though it would give me some kind of status before you, that you'd think I was something more than what I actually am because of those stories. But the reality is this, I realized that the scripture speaks seriously that, you, that money and status and, and, and security in that way can become an idol. It becomes something that I could love more than God. And our story as a family, we began to talk about this, my wife and I. And I realized that for me, the idol, and this will sound crazy to you, but the idol in my heart was a three-bedroom house. It's a bit weird, isn't it? You can laugh, it is a bit weird. The idol in my my life was a three-bedroom house. I just wanted to get a house. If I could get a house, then we could go on an adventure for Jesus. If I could just live in the house, then we would be safe. My family would be secure, and I'd go and do ministry, and everybody would be happy, and there would be no danger. There would be no risk. It's just I read the scriptures of people being shipwrecked, and people being stoned, and people having to stand before um, others and give account for for God, and and to stand before others and, uh, and, and, and actually have people be angry at them and shout at them. And it was so different to the way I was trying to structure my life. It was so different from the safety and security that I was trying to go for. Here's the problem. When you try and live half and half, you don't really live at all. When you try and live with one foot, just keeping credibility with everybody and and sticking with the status quo and staying with our mates, and one foot trying to live a radical life of discipleship, you don't hit either. You don't hit either. This is call from the gospel that says, I need to be all in. I need to follow Jesus with my whole heart and my whole mind and my whole body and my whole strength and my whole soul. Everything I've got needs to say I'm in for following Jesus. Not that some of those things are bad that Simon was saying. I'm just telling you my story. Money of itself can't be bad. The Bible says it's the love of money that's sinful. And for me, I'm telling you, I loved money. I loved money. It had become sinful in my heart. I didn't trust that Jesus was going to keep me secure. I thought bricks and a roof was going to keep me secure. 
I thought that would somehow protect me from life and enable me to do things. So, so our kind of journey then took us back to Africa, and, um, and this time we went to South Africa, and it brought up a lot of emotions for me of when I was 19, 20, 21 years old. I'd been this uh, guy, I'd gone and, and traveled around for six months and preached and prayed and, and seen God move. And, um, and our story is wrapped up, our story of adventure is wrapped up in a, in a place called Freigrund, which is hard to say. Um, and it's a township in South Africa. Townships were created by the apartheid a political regime where people were graded by the color of their skin and they were forced to move to different parts of cities uh, and they were forced to carry passes to show people um, and it was a brutal political regime which wanted just to divide and separate people and townships were created in, in, uh, underneath that, that regime and in Cape Town we have an area called the Cape Flats and I live in, the, in uh, about five minutes uh, or I actually live in the Cape Flats area and, and in, that, in that Cape Flats region and we went to visit and we went to uh, to to, uh, to kind of work and, and, and see what was going on in the township there because friends of ours had set something up. I want you to imagine a situation. We've got a crisis in education in South Africa. I want you to imagine a situation uh, when you went to primary school, I want you to think about your primary school class. I want, for some of you, it was only last year. I want you to think about how many kids were in your class. I'm going to guess there were about 27, 30 kids in your class. In South Africa, for every primary school uh, class that starts, by the end of the time they finish school, high school or secondary school for you, half of that class would have dropped out. Half of that class, 50% nationally, will not complete their education. They will drop out and they will fall through. We were, we were um, uh, helping an education centre. And the whole aim of the education centre was to support young people stay in school. From poor backgrounds, from underprivileged backgrounds, from injustice, that we would provide a structure for them to stay in schools. You're talking about an area where people share shacks and houses that are, that are really, really poorly built, that have one room, one kitchen and one bathroom. Bathroom, uh, one bathroom, one bed- bedroom, one kitchen, and families of up to 10 would share in that one bedroom house. I want you to imagine just your family and your household, and if I asked you that you would all share one bedroom, how that would work for you. I want you to ask how that would work for when you have to do your homework. I want you then to throw in the fact that maybe somebody in that house where you live abuses drugs and alcohol. I want you to throw into that mix that you don't have access to a computer, that you don't have access for the internet. And those are the things I saw with my own eyes. And living an adventure for Christ means that you have to open your eyes. So many times when I lived facing this way or half and half, I closed my eyes. But I want to tell you something that when you know, you know, it becomes partly your responsibility because you can't say you never knew. I knew. I knew that was how people were living. I knew that was how the world was operating. And there I was following a Jesus who told me, love God and then love people. Love God and then love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that scripture struck me because my little boy was playing with a very uh, uh, similar size and age young boy in this township. And they were playing together as though they didn't have a care in the world. And they were playing together as though, you you know, uh, stuff like, you know, we, we, we grow into injustices and to understand them. But often our children don't really understand it and they break all the rules. And my son just broke all the rules. And there he was playing and I realized in that one moment that their life situations were totally opposite. And, and, and humanly speaking, they would head in totally different directions. And the injustice of that struck me. And then I went home. And then I went home, like you do. Like you go home from New Day and you feel challenged and you feel as though you want to do something for God. And you're pumped for an adventure. Right now's a good time to speak to you about adventure because you're pumped for adventure. But September rolls in, October rolls in, November rolls in, December rolls in. And then we end up in our own daily routine and our own daily lives carry on. And I held this dream, though, in my heart that they wanted to build an education center, that there was no school in that area for uh, high school uh, uh, students, for secondary school students. And it nagged at me and it gnawed at me and I prayed about it. And the prayer that I prayed was, God, show me the rich person who's going to build that education center. It would only cost £40,000 to build it, God. Show me the rich person that's going to build that education center. And as I walked along the street that day, one day... uh, and, and often it's these small moments that your life kind of pivots on, to be honest with you. Very small. De- Last night, someone made what essentially looks like a small decision. They walked from the back of the tent to the front of the tent, and they prayed a prayer to give their whole lives to Jesus. In, in some ways, looking at it, it looks like a small kind of moment. In other ways, it's a decision that's totally changed their lives. 
absolutely fundamentally change the direction of their lives. And, what, and in your discipleship, there's going to be decisions where you're faced with that will fundamentally change your life. And as I was praying to God and I said, and I was frustrated and I said, God, I don't want to live in this kind of world. And I don't want to live where there's injustice. And I don't want to walk away from it this time as I've done before. But what would you have me do it? And where will I find this rich person who's going to build the education center? And God whispered one word to me. And when I say whispered, I don't want to spiritualize it. The words came in my head as though I was thinking to myself, but I heard them loud and clear as though they came from God. And he said to me, your bank account first. Your bank account first, mate. Don't go and ask other people before you are willing to lay everything that you've got on the line for me. And that, for me, I really believe was the pivotal moment of my adventure in Jesus. I could have turned away from that decision and said, you know what? I can't do it. And I don't think that God would have hammered me and said, then you're not good enough. Then you're not worthy. He would have just restored me. He would have restored me because he's a good and gracious God. But I knew that sometimes there's a glimpse of an adventure where God says, are you up for it? Because if you are, you've got no idea where you're heading, but you're going to love it. And this is what you've always wanted. But bear in mind what he asked me to do. I don't think he's necessarily going to ask you to do this. Do you know why I believe he asked me to do this? Because I just told you my story and where I came from. My idol was money. My idol was safety, security, and money. So the adventure I have to go on is to decide I don't worship that and I worship him. I have to turn from that and I have to follow him. So when he says to me, my bank account first, for me and my wife, that meant seven years of our life savings. It meant everything that we had. We'd got everything in one account that was all prepared to buy our house. We had our deposit almost ready to go and we were in for the security that I'd gone for. And Jesus said to me, you want to go on a life of adventure of discipleship? It's for you all in. Put everything in the middle of the table. Rattle up everything that you've got. Shake out every tin, son, and place it into the middle of the tin, into the middle of the table and see where we're going to go with this. In some ways, it wasn't dramatic. There weren't angels that dropped down and went, oh, this is exactly what you've heard. And this will all come to pass and be fine. Don't worry. I had to humbly submit this to my wife and say, I think I've heard from God and I think he wants us to go for an adventure. And that night, we decided to put our whole account in the middle and say, we won't spend it. We drew a line under what was in our account that day and we said, we'll never spend this. This is for South Africa. And somehow God's going to use it and God is going to bless it for that. We then go on a journey, which, which is made way longer than I've got time to tell you. We struggled and we suffered and, and there were times when I thought, as you were preached to this morning, when I thought, this isn't the Disney ending that I had in mind. I thought that when you did something for God quite dramatic, then God, God would then make your life easy. But it actually got tougher for us. Our life got tougher. It got harder. An adventure for God isn't, and I want to steer you so away from this. You watch YouTube clips that are one minute, 30 seconds long. You're going to watch a clip from South Africa from where I work. Today I'll show you one. You'll see another one because we're part of the offering this year. And you'll think, wow, that looks amazing. That looks so cool. These guys are doing such an awesome thing. And here's the reality, unfortunately, that happens to us in our generation. It happens to me as well. I fall in love with the idea of changing the world more than I love changing the world. I fall in love with the idea of changing the world more than I love changing the world. Because changing the world uh, uh, and, and actually investing ourselves in it as disciples of Jesus is hard work. It's sweat, blood, tears. It's days of frustration. It's moments of elation and ecstasy and celebration. It's amazing moments. It's boring moments. But it's not going to be summarized to you in a one minute, 30 second clip. I don't walk around doing the job I do with someone playing funky music in the background. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't roll like that. And I want to steer you away from falling in love with the idea of going on an adventure to the realities of going on an adventure. The reality of going on an adventure, weigh it up. Weigh it up and take stock whether you're prepared to pay the cost. There are people that walk away from Jesus because they're not prepared to pay the cost. But I want to urge you with my whole heart and say, I've never, ever, ever regretted paying the cost to follow Jesus. Never, ever, ever. It, the, the, the goodness of God has far outweighed anything that I could have put on that table. Anything he would have asked me to have sacrificed at that moment. But now you're wondering what happened, aren't you? I know. Some one person said yes. Now you're wondering what happened. What happens to a crazy guy who wants to go on an adventure and believes he's been called to give all of his savings to go and follow God? I can only tell you what happened to us and this is it. 
I didn't tell anybody that I was going to give that money away. My wife and I made a decision not to tell anybody at all until one moment, and that was I was, off, I was given the opportunity to preach at a conference very similar to this in another part of the UK. And as I spoke at that conference and the day before, I felt God tell me, now is the time to show them your integrity. If you're going to ask them to give to this project, then you need to declare that you are going to give first. You can't call someone to something that you are not prepared to do first. And one day I got an opportunity to speak. A speaker had fallen out and had dropped out. And um, someone said to me the night before, you're going to preach tomorrow. There's 6,000 people in the venue. That's a big deal, right? That's a big deal, okay? My son's got a few spare nappies, but I can tell you that I felt as though I'd have to go up with a pair of them, all right? It's a big deal when you're asked to speak to that many people. And I had no clue what I was going to speak on. And I went up and I spoke that day and I shared my heart for the poor. I shared my heart for injustice. I shared my heart for South Africa. I shared my heart for a church. I believe that many young people walk away from the church, including some of your friends, because they think we're a bunch of hypocrites. They know the scripture and they look at the way we live and the way we've structured our churches and the way we structure our lives and they say, you don't live the way you say and the way you preach. So why would I follow you? Why would I believe you? And I preached a sermon along those lines and I said what I was going to do. And one lady came up during that sermon and she placed a 20 pound note on the stage. That's a weird thing to do when you're preaching. If one of you came up now and put money on the stage, I've got a decision to make. I either ignore you or I say something and I carry on or I've got to decide what to do. I said, thank you very much. I'll put it towards the offering which was uh, in the youth venue, was being taken for this project, okay? I carry on preaching because I had a short amount of time, same as today, and you can see I like to talk, right? So I speak fast, I try and fit everything in, and I'm going, okay? And, uh, and then after that, people started coming forward. I'm preaching, so I'm trying to shout over them. They're trying to bring money to me. I start to ignore them. I'm not really sure what's going on. But people put note after note after note after note on the stage. I finish the sermon, more people come forward. They start passing money over their heads. They start pass, passing it along the lines, and there's money and money and money and money being piled up on the stage. I get bundled off the stage, and I have to go to another venue to go and speak. And at lunchtime, they say to me, you've got no idea what happened this morning, do you? I said, no, I've got no idea. They said, you needed to raise uh, £40,000 for the education centre that you're going to build in South Africa. And today, on the stage, was given £30,400. And this afternoon, there's a businessman who wants to meet you and give you personally £5,000 from his business. Today, you're going to have £35,400. You need to decide what you're going to do. I said, okay, I wanted to go on an adventure, but I'm not quite sure now what I'm meant to do with that. The young people in the venue start to get really excited because it's the offering that they're raising for. They go on to raise 15,000 pounds. The smart amongst you will know that we had about 50 grand. We had more than what we were expected to do. The day before, someone who didn't know had been to the site where we were planning to build in South Africa, had no clue this was going to happen. Bear in mind, I didn't have any clue this was going to happen on the day before. No one knew this was going to happen and walked around that site and prophesied that God was going to pour out every penny that we needed and was going to pour out more. Because when you say you're all in and you refuse to follow an idol, you suddenly unleash almost the goodness of every promise that's been given to you from Scripture because I have no other promises to stand on. I sound like a complete lunatic. Imagine explaining to your mother-in-law that you have a small child, you have married their daughter, and instead of buying a house, you've decided you're going to give all of your money away to the poor. I know in theory that sounds very religious, but you, it's, 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 this is hard. You have one promise to stand on, which is God's told me to do it. And if he doesn't come through, but I'm trying to encourage you that that's the only place you should stand. You should stand in areas where if God can't, if, if, if only, it has to be only God that can do it. It has to be only God. And for some of you, that's seeing some of your mates come to Christ. You know, and I know that for your friends to come to know Jesus, really only God's going to be able to do it. Because you haven't got many good words and neither did I. You're now wondering what happened with my bank account. Because the smart ones amongst you will have figured out that I hadn't given away any money. And it didn't take me long to figure that out either. And then I read uh, about a month later, I was reading the Bible and I was trying to pray about what I should do. What's God doing? Is he saying I don't have to give any money? Is I saying I do have to give money? Is he not? I don't know. I read Ecclesiastes 5.4, which says, If you make a vow before God, be good to fulfill your vow. Pay what you owe because God does not suffer fools. I would say in my life of hearing clearly from God that that was quite clear and quite uncomfortable. 
So that evening, it was a Wednesday night. I didn't tell anybody, only my wife. I, I phoned up ahead to the guys that were working in South Africa and I said, God has told me that today is the day I move all of my money. Because again, God wanted to ask me, is the idol you're going to follow money or Jesus? That's my story. Each time having to make decisions to say, who am I going to follow and where am I going to go? Because I had a second bite at the idol. I could sit back comfortable again. I moved my money and I, I, we gave everything we had away on that Wednesday night. Everything we'd agreed to give, we gave on a Wednesday night without anybody knowing. And I guarantee you that my world did not collapse. When we pulled that idol to the ground, we felt so amazingly free in God. It was like some, we'd finally drawn a line in the sand and said, I'm going to follow God and nothing else. I'm going to be all in for this. And then on the Saturday morning, without anybody knowing, I got an email from somebody who had been at the same conference that I had spoken at. They had taken my email address from one of the organizers. I still do not know who this person is. I cannot point them out to you in the street. I couldn't even tell you their name. I've forgotten it, and I don't go back over it to find. This is how the email read. Steve, I heard you speak at the conference. God spoke to me while you were speaking, and I'm a rich man. And he told me that you are going to give everything away, and I'm to pay you back everything you've given away. What do you do with that? I'm like, okay. This person has no idea that we've given our money away on the Wednesday. No idea of our financial situation. And to be honest with you, the only emails I get asking for money on the internet are from Nigerian or Burundian princes that need to move gold bars through and they need your account details. And you kind of know it's a hoax, right? So I, I was a bit uncomfortable. Do I just give this person my bank details and pay them in? And that day they paid half of my life savings straight back into my bank account. And two months later, I was back fully restored to the exact amount. I had got before. Everything was restored to me by that person and then other people started to get involved. That person didn't even have to fully restore our funds because other people got involved and restored every single penny that had been taken away. So then we said, this adventure is way more fun than having a house. Why don't we do it again? Why don't we move to South Africa? Why don't we put all of our money in again and move there and follow the adventure that we're being called on to build this education center? Why don't we go and see what would happen if we did that? So second time around, we emptied our bank account. We threw down our idol and we said, we are in for an adventure and we're going to follow Jesus. The second week I was in South Africa, I, I totaled up all my bills. Moving a family of four, my wife, my two kids, I had a six-month-old baby at the time, is hectic. You get money going in out everywhere. You're moving containers, you're selling stuff, you're buying stuff, you're booking flights, you're crossing over. People were giving us money, we had to pay out money, and I totted up all of the bills at the end of the second week that I was in South Africa. I sat down at my desk and I, I did all of my accounts, and I kid you not, God, second time over, almost to the pound, had restored my finances again to the exact amount that we had attempted to give away for the second time around. Let's talk about the third time that we've tried to do it. The third time we tried to give away this amount of money, the third time was when as a, as a foundation we were struggling for cash and we'd almost run out of money building um, and, and, and trying to fill out what God had done us. So we were asked again to give over a money. They asked us this time, would you, would you loan it to us? Would you try and help us? We said, we are all in. For the third time we tried to give away our money and about two months ago they had more money pour in and they gave it back again. The third time around. Why? Because when you start going on an adventure in God and you start seeing the things that, uh, of God, you won't look back and, and, and he won't let you down. And you won't lack and you won't have uh, uh, that sense of want in God. Sure, we don't have a three-bedroom house, but I can tell you what, we're on an adventure that's so much greater than a three-bedroom house. I'm meant to be doing a seminar. I'm not meant to be preaching. But you're now one, I'm going to take some questions in a minute. But you want to hear an adventure. Uh, humbly, humbly, I, I want to see more. I don't know if this is still, the, the, you know, I, I, I want to press into more. Because I don't want there to be a gap between what I read in the book of Acts and the kind of life I'm living. I want, I want, a, life that, I want a life that reflects that I fully follow Jesus. I want people to make no sense of my life other than the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. I want people to look at us and, 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 and only kind of grab hold of this thing that we love Jesus. Deeply, I, don't, I, I want you to know that I, I love Jesus. Cut me open and I want it to be right at the center of my life that I love Jesus and there is no room for any others. 
There is no room for any others because here the love of Jesus is all-consuming. So if you want to go on an adventure for God, uh, and I know you're only like 12 to 14, you're like, easy, mate. You're shouting a lot. It's first thing in the morning. I'm, I, all I, I, I'm at school, okay, so calm down. I've at least got to finish my education. Do you know what I would do if I were you? And I would love to sell my uh, 12 or 13 or 14-year-old self. I would love to grab the 14-year-old me, look him in the eyes and say, stop chasing after girls, stop chasing after the best jobs, and start chasing after Jesus. I'd love to grab him and say, you just don't get it yet, Steve. He's going to be the greatest thing you can ever give yourself to. And I would love to almost grab you. I wouldn't squeeze your cheeks, that would be weird. I would just grab you like this and I would love to look in your face and say, chase Jesus with everything you've got and I don't know what adventure you'll go on but it'll be the greatest thing you can ever do of your life. You're now wondering whether we actually built the education centre we said and I've got a video, hopefully, that's going to show you. This was shot for a different conference just to say thank you to people um, but hopefully, I know the guys are behind there. <laughs> I'm hoping that we'll be able to show you a video of, of uh, what we've actually done and then later in the week, um, the offering is, is for another project that we're running from the same center. Just to give you some background now, we've built a two-story education center. It was three times bigger. It took three times more money than we had before. God provided every penny, every brick, everything that's there for us. There were days when we were running a charity and we literally had about 50 quid in the bank. And then we had miraculous donations come in overnight. There are times when we sit and we can only uh, come before God and ask him for direction and, and, and for understanding of what we're doing. And he pours out time time and time again and never lets us down. We now run a center where we see about 130 young people every single day. In the morning, we serve unemployed young people and we try to bring them back to a place of employment. In the evenings, we see high school young learners come in and we try and keep them in high school. Nationally, 50% of learners drop out of high school. And of those that remain, of all that started school, only about 30% qualify and graduate school with any kind of qualifications. In our center of the 80 kids that we've got in school at the moment, 100% of them have stayed in school. Last year, those who sat their final exams, 100% of them passed. Of those who passed those final exams, 100% of them went on to university, further education or jobs. We are not just taking those statistics and improving them. We are smashing them because that's what Jesus does. There is no other explanation for it. That's what Jesus does. And I, I can't... I can't stand before you and say I had a good idea. I didn't. I can't stand before you and say I don't ever make mistakes. I don't. I can't. I can't stand before you and try and proclaim that we had really great ideas. We didn't. I can only stand before you and say that adventures that are marked out by Jesus are fully funded by Jesus, are fully fact by Jesus, are fully resourced by Jesus, are, 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 have everything in them is done in such a way that you can only give the glory to God. Don't go away from here glorifying me. Please don't go away from here glorifying me because then other people's stories will become your idols. Go away from here and glorify him. Go away from here and look to him and chase him through your schooling, through your education with everything that you've got because it ultimately starts and ends in Jesus. The story of your life should be defined by who you believe Jesus is. And if you want an adventure in God, chase after him with all of your might. That was my filler for the video, which I hope is going to work. Um, is it working? Yeah, that's the end, I think. Maybe the beginning. I believe with my whole heart that this morning, this day, this moment, this time is your God-appointed time. God moved and miraculously poured out provision for this project. My heart has always been to create a space where young people can come and it's a safe environment where they can feel loved, where they can feel accepted and where they can actually sit down and do some homework, where they have tutors that support them, that encourage them, that are role models. everybody at New Wine for all that you gave to see local churches really changing nations.
we're just uh, glad to be able to report back and faithfully show you what's been built. So thank you for partnering with us. Just continue to join us on the story as it unfolds. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, Jesus. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. None of this would have happened apart from a journey that said, I'm going to abide in God and I'm going to go 100%. And I'm going to chase him. I said I'd leave some time. We've got to finish by half past. I said I'd leave some time for you to ask me anything you want. We've got just under 15 minutes. Um, I'm happy to answer any of your questions. I've done a lot of shouting, a lot of encouraging, a lot of kind of inspiring, I hope. But I know some of you want to ask me some some kind of questions and unpick it a little bit. Um, So if you've got a question, do you want to just raise your hand? And then there's a microphone over here that's going to come to you. Um, don't be shy. If you've got a question, and I'll do my best, I can answer it. There's one right on the other side of the hall, I think. Yeah, there's one there. I'm very friendly, so don't think any question's a bad one. Right, go on. Uh, how, how do we know what God wants us to do? Yeah, it's a good question. How do you know what God wants you to do? Um, so, so there's kind of two questions in that, often that are, how do I hear from God, is one. Um, and then the second kind of thing is, how do I know I've heard, how do I know I've heard correctly and I've heard rightly? Um, here's, here's what I did, and I'll submit it to you. Um, what I do, one thing would be, uh, the first things first, is to get to know the Bible. First thing I'd say to anybody, if you want to know what God says and what God thinks and what's, what God speaks, start with the scriptures. Start with what he's given us there and read it through there. So the thing for me would be wrestle with the scripture, understand the Bible, and then weigh everything up that you think you're being called to against the scripture. So for me, it was, was an ask, it does what I'm going to give my life to, does it weigh up with scripture? Does it look, smell, and sound like something that sits right with scripture? And if it doesn't, I wouldn't do it, okay? The second thing I did was I submitted it to somebody that I trusted. So my wife's also a Christian. Um, We've been journeying together, and we've been married for nine years. We've been together maybe 10, 11, 12 years. Um, Don't tell her I told you that. She would know the exact amount of years. Um, and, uh, And I weighed it up with another Christian who I trusted. That may be a leader at your church. That may be a youth leader. That may be a trusted friend. But you need to get counsel of godly people and wise people. Um, And then the next thing I applied to it was a common sense test. Is, does this, and I know it says, what does my gut say? What does the common sense of this say? Sometimes we can have a good idea, we can have a good, a good mandate to do it, and we can do it wrongly. So the wrong way for me to do it would be to go to South Africa and think I'm some kind of hero with no understanding of the context. So common sense says, bed it in with your friends that know what they're doing. Submit it to people who understand it and do it. So, um, and then I think you, you really have uh, let, the Bible says, let peace be your umpire. What that means is, trust that when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is active in you. And wait on that. Wait and hold it. Does it feel right? Has God spoken to me? Have I got confidence in it? Is it clear? Is it a dream? Is it a vision? Is it something that he said to me in prayer? Is it something that I'm holding? So I would weigh up all of those kind of things and, and hold those in tension. And then sometimes I think um, you, faith is... Uh, faith is not just understanding that in theory a bungee jump rope will hold me. The tower's solid, the rope's going to hold me. The thing, I've given you kind of the framework. The frame's good, they've got the health and safety certificate. I'm watching other people do it and they're surviving. Faith is actually when you stand at the top of that bungee and you know all of that's in place and you say, now's my time, I'm going to jump. So don't wait for so long thinking maybe God's spoken, maybe, maybe, and you've done all of this kind of testing and feeling and then you never jump. So faith is when you actually jump in that. All right. Is there one over there? How long did it take you to build the school and did you run into any problems? Oh, man. Did we run into any problems? Wow, where do I start? Um, Yeah, we nearly ran out of money twice. Um, 
we had uh, oh, well, all kinds of logistical problems, uh, kind of problems in the community um, that are outside of our control. So recently there was a riot where we work. Um, yeah, we've been robbed. I was robbed in the second week that we were there by gangsters um, that came into another center that we work from. Uh, <laughs> so the list of problems kind of goes on, to be honest with you. Um, but what what... What I'd say to illustrate that, I don't mean to flip off those problems, but is to just be really honest with you. Otherwise, I say here and go, yeah, it was great, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't tell you, no, we've actually you know, in- encountered some significant kind of challenges and, uh, and opposition to what we were doing. Um, and that has taken, we, we got the money in 2013. Um, we then went in in 2015. So it took us two years from when we were given the money and then we, it took us one year to plan it before we'd even kind of got into the ground. And then from digging out the foundations in 2014, we moved in in 2015. Um, we're now in 2016, and we're only just beginning to see the centre go to its full capacity. I love the fact that you called it a school because we hope to build a school. Um, so it's, we're not a school at the moment, um, but the dream is that one day, um, there's a famous saying that says, you can only patch up the Jericho Road for so long before you decide to actually fix the whole road. So for us, fixing the road is to run a high school and to prevent people from dropping out and to give hope to the hopeless and to provide the best level of education right in the heart of a community that would be expected to receive the worst. Because I believe that's the kingdom of God. I believe that's what God does. He redeems and he restores and he surprises. And the kingdom of God springs up in places where people think it won't because the glory can only go to God uh, when it does. So, yeah, that was kind of the journey of it, the few years. So this could be easily another 10 years of our lives. But equally, it could be another two or three. I don't know. That's the thing of adventure. You often don't know where you're going to land or where you're going to end up. Yeah. You want to ask me something, don't you? The microphone's just coming to you. (laughs) Are they taught about Christ in the education centre? Yes, yeah, a really nice question. Are they, are they actually taught about Jesus? Are they taught about Christ, um, where we are and what we do? Um, yes, we do is the answer. Um, and, uh, and there's a whole way we think about that and a whole way we process that. Someone said it quite interestingly to me the other day because we were having this debate of um, as a Christian NGO, we are an NGO, but charity would be the word that you would describe. Do you mention, do you, do you tell people that you, you, you're, uh, ser- you're um, representing Jesus? Do you say, do you, would it put people off? Would it not? Would it, will it be a barrier to people? Will it be a barrier to others? And there's this big debate about kind of going on and I wasn't part of it and someone was talking and, and it was interesting one lady she said to me do you know one girl in the conversation she said you know uh, I, I don't think it matters whether you put him in or not this was her opinion I don't matter it wasn't about us it's about another charity I don't think it matters whether you put him in or not as long as you do find him there she said because there's many people that put Jesus in and we haven't we can't find him and there's many people that leave Jesus out of the statement but yet we find it in their staff and in their people and our attitude is this that we, we need to earn the right through relationship and love and care to speak to you and to tell you why we do what we do. And we will serve you whether you know Jesus, don't know Jesus, uh, love him with your whole heart or, or use him as a swear word. We will love you, we will serve you, we will share the love of God with you. And we hope that uh, we're heavily, we're, we are supported, wholly owned and kind of managed and in relationship with the church. And we believe that we, we're just bringing the kingdom of God and taking the church out um, into that community and, um, and to be part of that community. Um, and then there are, there are logical, what we call logical pathways for people to connect. So we run a youth group very similar to kind of the church youth group probably that you go to. And we try and connect in all of our learners with the church youth group. We run a campaign called the Dignity Campaign um, where we uh, take all of our young women uh, and, and we run them through a discipleship and a, and a kind of um, uh, what I would say is like a whole a holistic kind of look at who you are in God and what the Bible says about you. Um, last Easter, we had the privilege of baptizing, I think it was eight uh, young learners from our center in church. So, I mean, what you've asked me, I could talk to you about for the whole afternoon, um, because there's an there's a actual 
a whole kind of thought process through this. But one thing I, I, I don't think we want to, one thing we don't want to go, one error on this side is, I help you, I help you, I help you, I serve you, I show, I show you this, but I never ever speak to you about what my motivation for doing it is or my love for Christ. I never really, I, 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 I kind of bury it. There's a time when words are important. The other side is this, the other flip side of that coin is, we sometimes as a church do a lot of shouting and a lot of telling and a lot of kind of instructing, but not a lot of acting. So for me, there's this balance between our words and our action that needs to wed together. And I'm not sure we always get it right, but we're certainly trying to get it right in that relationship. Is that all right? Makes sense. What advice can you give to to people to make sure they love money more than, um, that they don't love money more than Jesus? Okay, what advice would I give to people to make sure that they don't love money more than Jesus? Well, in one minute, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I think that the, the, it's easy for us to try and draw laws, okay? But, but when I've looked at this, because I get asked to talk about money quite a lot now, and, um, and I've, I've tried to draw print laws, and I've tried to understand it. But you see, this is interesting. There's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, he says, what can I do to inherit the kingdom? You know, what, what should I do? And he says, give all of your money away to the poor. Give everything you've got to the poor. And the rich young ruler can't do it, and he steps away from it. Then there's Lazarus, um, uh, no, Zacchaeus, who's caught in the tree. Um, and Zacchaeus is a tax collector and has and uh, got a lot of his money through corruption and, and through bribing people and through um, and taking it. And he's called out the tree, and he's called to go and sit and eat with Jesus. And he, interestingly, decides himself to give half of his money away to the poor and right any of the wrongs that have gone before that he's robbed people of. Now, he doesn't give all of his money to the poor, yet Jesus welcomes him. Why? Because in his heart, he was was able to, to submit the idol and pull it down. In the young ruler's heart, he wasn't able to pull down the idol of money and possessions. He wasn't able. So my issue is not whether you've got money, haven't got money, whether you aspire to be rich or whether you aspire to be poor. My heart for you would be, in what order does money, status, and fame have in your heart? And this is Simon's preach from last night. What is it for you that actually being... Being financially secure, being safe, being stable, having a good house, having a good car, having nice clothes, having the right trainers. How much of that do you place ahead of Jesus? And I would say if any of that is ahead of Jesus in your heart, that it takes more of your time, more of your attention, more of your love, more of your devotion than Jesus, then you need to pull it down. And you need to root it out. But remember, it's not money that's sinful. It's the love of money. So the question is, in your heart, what do you love? What do you love most? And it's okay to say, I'm trying to love Jesus and I want to love him more. That's a really honest prayer. There's often times when I come to prayer and I say, God, I'm trying to love you. And I want to love you more than status. I want to love you more than... I want to love God more than this story. I don't want this story to become my idol. That I constantly want to talk about it. That I constantly want to go... I don't want this story to become my idol. I want to love Jesus more than this story. There will be a day probably when it will come um, and Jesus will ask me to leave this project and go and do something else. And then I will know whether I love this project more than I love Jesus. And again, there'll be a reordering in my heart that will have to take place. So my advice... That's not advice. That's kind of principles. My advice would be check what's in your heart Check what's in your motivation before you spend stuff. Check what your motivation is for what you're, you're buying. Check what you're buying. And then ask yourself, um, are you learning the p- uh, principles of generosity and giving even now? So for some of you, I would ask you, uh, how much money have you given away to anything, any project, any church, your church in the last year? How much have you given away? How much of your money have you spent solely on yourself? And how much have you given away? And I would encourage you even now in the process of generosity, it is blessed to give. It is blessed to give away. And I would encourage you even this week and in other weeks uh, going forward to learn the quality of giving away. So if you're struggling with it, I'd say you take that pair of Air Force Ones, just because they were mentioned earlier, and whatever it is that, that you know, you hold your, and I'd say you give it away. Give it away to someone who needs it. Give it away and pour it out. Is that all right?